Ecclesiastes chapter 10. As we read, we know that this is God's Word. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool is consumed by his own lips. At the beginning, his words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and the fool multiplies words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell what will happen after him? A fool's work wearies him. He does not know the way to town. Woe to you, O land whose king was a servant and whose princess feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts <clears throat> or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird of the air may carry your words and a bird in the wing may report what you say. Well, please do open your Bibles with me again to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, to that passage that Nigel read for us just a few moments ago. And we have only one more. This is our penultimate uh, evening in Ecclesiastes. Next week, Nigel will close our series, and then we'll be into our big questions. And we have thoroughly enjoyed making our way through uh, Ecclesiastes. It has been so helpful for us. And tonight, we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And as we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, what we're asking tonight is really a question all around holiness. We're asking about a question of holiness. What is holiness like? And so as we start to think about holiness, uh, here's a question. I wonder what are people attracted to us for? Why are people attracted, if people are attracted to us? Are they attracted to us because of our humor? That's certainly not the case for me. I can try to be funny, but I'm not very funny. Maybe it's for our intellect. Again, I'm not going to pass comment on my own, but I don't think it's for that reason. Maybe it's for money or for position. We have various reasons why people are attracted towards us. 
Or maybe they're utterly repelled by us because we're not a very nice person to be around at all. Are we attractive, though, because of our Christ-likeness? That's the desire. That we would be attractive people in this church, in the places that God has put us for His glory because of our Christ-likeness. So as men and as women, are we godly? Because if we are holy, if there is a Christ-likeness about us, we, we carry the aroma of Jesus wherever we go. And as we carry that aroma, people will love to be around us. Now, some will hate it, but others will be drawn to us, drawn in. They'll see something different about us, something unique in our character, and it's Christ. And so there should be something about the Christian that is pleasant and attractive and alluring. And below that surface question is really the the question that we want to get at tonight is, have you a beautiful heart? Now, I'm not talking about your actual heart. I'm talking about the, the seat of your emotions. Have you a beautiful heart? Is there a holiness about our hearts? As people get close to us, as they get to know us, is there an attractiveness of Christ about us? And so as we edge our way into this, uh, J.I. Packer has this helpful little uh, line that I think will, will guide us tonight. He says this, if regeneration is a work of new creation, sanctification is a work of new formation. One's new birth and the other is new growth. And so this is really where the teacher has taken us to at this point, and he's going to step us through three aspects of our life to, to gauge our holiness, as it were. He's going to talk to us about our walk, he's going to talk to us about our work, and he's going to talk to us about our words, our walk, our work, and our words. Now, this is something that as Christians, I I think, and we talked a little bit about this during our midweek, that we are uh, slow to go towards. We know about our justification, we hear that mentioned often our need for justification, but as we think about our our sanctification, that word that really means becoming like Christ, growing in holiness, as we think about that, we're not just as quick to hop on board. But this is where the teacher takes us. So imagine the scene. We have been through many lectures with the teacher so far to chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes. But here, it's a, it's a warm summer's afternoon, and the bell goes in the classroom, and he says, okay, class, it's time to go home. But for some, he opens up an invitation, and he says, if you would like to, you can come back to my house tonight, and we'll, we'll continue to think about these things. We'll continue to think about what it means to live a, a wise life, a godly life, a sanctified life, not a fool's life, but a godly life. And so in this warm summer's evening, we have made our way to the teacher's house, and he takes us into his study, and he puts us down. The windows are open. There's a nice, gentle breeze, and we sit around this coffee table as students, and right in the middle of the coffee table is this big photo album. And on the title of the photo album is A Holy Life. And then he invites us to open 
this photo album. And we open the first page, and he takes us through verses 1 and 3. It's walking wisely, walking wisely. And what we see as we open this first page of the photo album, or or verse 2, are two roads. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. What we see is two people on two different roads, one going to the right and one going to the left. One going in a good direction, one going in the wrong direction. And do you notice that little word right in the, in the center of verse 2? It's the wise man's heart. It's his heart that inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. And so the teacher is saying to us, it's actually something inside of us that is directing our footsteps. It's what's inside our chest, our very control center, who we are as a person. That, that is what is directing us. That's what's leading us down one path or the other. And so the feet, the teacher says, will be led by the heart. It's the heart that sets the trajectory. The heart is the satnav, if you like, of our lives. And so Thomas Brooks, he says this, a holy heart is always attended with a holy life. Very simple. A holy heart is always attended with a holy life. And so right at the beginning, as we we take our seats, as it were, in the teacher's room, in his study, he hits us right at the beginning of chapter 10, And he talks to us about our hearts. Where does our hearts lead us? So simply for us tonight, is our heart leading us and leaning us towards the Lord Jesus Christ or away from Him? Only you can answer that. Only you will know this. Have you a growing desire inside of yourself for the Lord and for His ways? Moving towards the Lord and His Word as we taste of it and, and as we think about it, John chapter 6, as Jesus describes Himself as the bread of life, do we, do we feast on the Word? Is our hearts drawn to it? Do we move towards the Lord in prayer? Do we move towards the Lord's people? Are we trying to fill our lives with others who will push us on in the faith? And as Nigel read, are we seeking the Lord and His kingdom first? The teacher says to the students, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right. So what direction are we heading in? Are we moving towards God or are we moving away from Him? Because on the two paths, the two pictures that we have in the photo album for us One takes us down this path, and we see it, and it's a path full of destruction and debris and death, the fool's path. And the other is full of life and vibrancy and color and light and joy and goodness. Verse 3, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. He can see that the road is broken. He can see that the road is leading him to death. He can see that there's no happiness to be found. 
He, he can see that he's got no meaning as he walks down this road. And yet, what does he do? He plows on ahead. It's the person who, as we've been thinking about Ecclesiastes, as it were, stirs death in the face and says, I'll take my chances. It's the person who looks down the road of this life. He can see or she can see where it all ends, and they say, well, it'll all be all right. I'll strike a deal with the man upstairs. He'll look after me. It'll all be okay in the end. Everyone can see. The fool walks on this road. He lacks wisdom. He lacks sense. And yet he walks on. Now, a question you maybe have is, well, what is this wise heart? This wise heart is the heart that that goes after the Lord. It's one that lives in obedience to the Lord, that loves the Lord, that loves His Word, that loves living a holy life. That's what the heart that we hear of the fir- in the first line of verse 2 is. And so on this first page of the photo album, the teacher goes straight for our hearts and he does a, a health check on them. On what direction is your heart leading you? And then he invites us to flip the next page, as it were. And as we turn over the next page, it's verses 4 through 7 and verses 16 through 20. Here we flip over the next page of the photo album, and we see the working world. We see snaps of the working world. And why does the teacher take us here? Well, as young students, as we go after uh, living rightly for the Lord, as we will encounter uh, in chapter 12, as we try to live a wise life, the holy life, the sanctified life, he knows that one of the pinch points is going to be in the place of work. It can be one of the most difficult places for us to be a Christian. It's where we spend most of our time. And so in the office, on the building site, in the staff room, in the canteen, in the restaurant after work on a Friday on the ward, in the university, tutorial group, in the playground, when we are with our colleagues and with our friends, those that we spend time with, what are we really like? What version of us is on display to them? Have we a healthy heart? You see, it's easy to have a healthy heart, a holy heart here at Hill Street on a Sunday, and during the morning worship and during the evening worship. It's very easy to have a, a holy heart on a, on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night at BB or at GB. Maybe some of the leaders are saying to me, well, you should come and try to spend an hour or two with them and you'll see how easy it is. But whenever we're in this room, whenever we're in our buildings, it can be easier, can't it? But with our work colleagues, what's it really like? Look at verse 4. You see that the teacher tries to say this, look, if, anger, if the anger of a ruler or of your boss rises against you, Do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. And then he goes on, verses 5 and 6, and and you can see this, that that he goes into the workplace. Verse 6, folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit at a low place. I've seen slaves and horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. 
Verse 4, if, you're, if your boss is angry, what should we do? Don't kick off. Don't fight anger with anger. Instead, be calm as a Christian. The holy response is, is calmness in that place. When the email comes through from the manager saying that you're under inspection, don't let it press all of your buttons. Remain calm. Delay the response and reply the next day. Wisdom. When someone provokes you about a decision that you have taken, calmness. When you're being slated or investigated or placed under review or dragged into the HR situation for discipline, as we look at this photo album, the teacher says, remain calm. And that will diffuse the situation. But then look at verses 6. Fools in high places. Verses 7, slaves will be on horses. There's, there's a, a frustration in the working world. Things won't be the way that you thought they should be. In public life, as we sit under governments, they will drive you mad. There will be rulers who will be set above you that you don't think should be there. And a little bit like last week, we'll live in this topsy-turvy lifestyle, this topsy-turvy world. And in verses 8 and through 11, we'll see all sorts of evil. Look at verse 8. He who digs, and it's talking about the workplace, he who digs a pit will fall into it. And in the ESV, a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Those who dig a pit, who try to manipulate the workplace, who are working moves in the background, who are digging a pit for someone to fall into, who are digging a pit for their own personal gain so they can lay a trap for others, finally they will fall into their own pit, says the teacher. And verse 8, those who try to break through a wall, who try to reach beyond themselves, who are trying to push beyond themselves for selfish gain, well, they will be bitten. Then into verse 9, he who tries to remove stones who tries to do big work in this company, perhaps it is. Moving big pieces. He's, he's going about a very dangerous work. He's trying to dig or to undermine. He'll be hurt. Verse 9. The one who splits the big log could be hurt by them. Now, don't forget, what are we talking about? We're talking about the heart. The motives of the heart. Are the motives good or are the motives evil? Have the motives of our heart and our workplace led us down the, the good path or down the, the wicked and evil path? Of course, ambition is not wrong, but what are, what are the motives of the heart? To think that you can be cunning and deceitful, the teacher says it will catch you out. It's to operate like a fool. And so our heart will be on display for all to see. Those that we work with, those that we study with, those that we engage with in retirement, they will see our hearts. Well then, how do we work? Well, verse 10 takes us on. Instead, the teacher says, work wisely. If the iron is blunt, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. How should we work? Well, we should work to the best of our ability. We should work in a way that we want to develop ourselves for the good of the company, to work for the best of the company, for the best of the, of the place that we are in, for the good of it. 
we, we shouldn't keep just swinging uh, idly by, going through the motions with our acts being blunt. Instead, we should take time. You know, we should develop our skills, sit in the training class or go on the course. But the teacher knows that our hearts could be quick to say, well, I'll just sign myself up for a hundred different training courses, and I'll, I'll never actually be in the place of work. I'll sign myself up for another course, and the work colleagues will think that I'm on a training course, and I'm actually on the golf course, and they'll never know anything about it. I'm on a course for the day. And so in verse 11, if the, serpent's, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. If the charmer takes a long time to do his work, the teacher says, what would be the point? He's going to be bitten. And so you've got to get to your work quickly. Train yourself up, sharpen your axe, but don't take too long about it. Don't let it keep you out of work for a long period of time. Get back to it. Don't sit idly by. So train and plan, sharpen your axe, and then live and work for the glory of the Lord. We see that in chapter 9, verse 10, don't we? We were thinking a little bit about this before. Chapter 9 and verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you're going. Work well as Christians. Work well to honor the Lord. So holiness in your workplace, and maybe if you're retired or you're younger, holiness in your home, Holiness and wisdom, they go hand in hand. And then the teacher points again to the photo album. We've spent time here in the workplace. And he, he then directs us onto another page, as it were, as you see verses uh, 15 and 16 and 17, another little uh, picture of what the workplace is to be like. Verse 14, woe to you, land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Again, what's he saying? You've got to work and you've got to work well. But instead, happy, verse 17, are you, land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. You don't want to live uh, with a, a government or with a, a board of directors who all they do is feast in the morning. They go to the morning buffet and they ask for more coffee and they ask for more drink. And by the time lunchtime comes, they ask for another round of food. You want your, your rulers to work whenever they're meant to work. And so holiness in the workplace. How we walk, how we work. And then the final page in the photo album, verses 8 through 13. Here we turn up the page, and what do we see? We see people with their mouths open, and this is all about our words. Men and women with their mouths open. And here the teacher says, holiness will come out in how we speak. How winsome are our words. How gracious are our words. Do they increase our reputation or do they decrease it? Do they increase the reputation of others or do they decrease it? Because the translation here really has this notion of grace. It is the literal word in the Hebrew for grace as we think about our words. And so one commentator says, a wise person's words show this kind of grace to other people. They are messages of blessing. 
out of a, a holy heart, out of a holy life, will flow good words, wise words. Wisdom chooses her words carefully. And so, what are our words like? A wise person uses their words to worship the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord, to praise the Lord. A wise person uses their words to bring encouragement and not criticism, gentleness and not unrighteous anger. Use our words to forgive and to seek forgiveness. We are quick to say sorry. We speak words of love and affection, not harsh words. We speak words of truth. Look at verse 14. What does a fool do? A fool multiplies words. We all know those people, that if there were two people there, then there were five people, and then there were eight people, and ten people, and fifty people, and a hundred people were there. They multiply it. They add to the story. We are to be people who speak words of truth. Words of truth whenever there's injustice. Words that build up and not tear down. And so the teacher is helping us as young students see what the wise life is, the good life, how we walk, how we work, and how we use our words. And we find this in Matthew's gospel, and in chapter 12 and verse 24, we're told that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And so as it was with our steps, so it will be with our words our words will follow our heart. And a wise heart reflects the heart of Jesus, says the teacher. A wise heart is humble. A wise heart loves truth. It is loving and forgiving. It is gentle and it is encouraging. And there's a lovely detail in Luke chapter 4 and in verse 22 it's a comment about our Lord and Savior. And it says this, that the people marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Luke 4 and 22. And so our words tell us something about who we are. Our words are a window, as it were, into our hearts. You see, we can try and hide and mask the ugliness of our hearts, but it is through our words that we are diagnosed, the condition of our heart tonight is laid out on the table, as it were. We can't hide. We are told again that the words of the fool will consume them. Unwise words will destroy And so look at the the word that the teacher gives us in verse 20. Not just in our words, but also in our thoughts. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. Nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice. Or some winged creature will tell the matter. Ever wonder where we got the phrase, a little bird told me? Oh, it just happened to hear. A little bird popped in and told me all the bad things you were saying about me. A little bird told me that you were criticizing the boss. A little little bird told me this or told me that. 
Ecclesiastes 10, 20, for a bird of the air will carry your voice. Don't even think evil thoughts. Don't even think them. Don't even speak them internally because they will pollute your heart. And so the teacher shows the young student how gossip or foolish words will be spread and to be careful in it, to be careful in their walk, to guard their steps. Isn't that what we were told all the way back in the chapter 5 and verse 1? Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your walk. Guard yourself in your work. Guard yourself in your words. It's challenging for us. This week, this passage has been right at the forefront of my mind, and this one in particular about words. And so many times I've identified in myself unkind words, unholy words. Here's what Paul Tripp says. I think it was on the screen just a moment ago for us. And I think this helps us. says, listen to the talk that goes on in your home. How much of it is impatient and unkind? How easily do outbursts of anger occur? How often do we bring up past wrongs? How do we fail to communicate hope? How do we fail to protect, stop, and listen? And you will see how much we need to hold our talk to this standard of love. And he's talking about a holy standard, a Christ-like standard. Listen to the words. And so for us, how we walk, how we work, how we use words, this is all part, the teacher says, of living a wise and a holy life, a godly life. Now, let us return as we close to verse 1. We have this wonderful picture, but it's a striking picture. We have this large jar of ointment, a beautiful jar of perfume, or whatever your aftershave is on your shelf. And what does he say? Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. And so, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The the image is of this beautiful container of ointment, and only a couple of flies have managed to uh, scramble their way in, and they sit there, you know the way a fly has been drowned by perfume with its little legs in the air and its wings. And he says, as you go past it, it starts to give off a stench. The thing that used to be beautiful, that used to have a wonderful aroma, that used to bless and encourage as you walked past it, used to give you great joy. Well, now there's a a handful of dead flies in it, and these dead flies make the thing stink. There's a stench that comes from it. And do you notice the ratio? It's only a few flies and a lot of ointment. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The dead flies are only a small portion, but they pollute and they distort. 
And that is what sin is like in our lives. That's the most striking picture, I think, for us as we draw to a close this evening. That a little sin pollutes the whole self. That, that the littlest, smallest, tiniest inclination of our heart that's trying to pull us down that wrong road, the, the way to the left, it needs dealt with. We can't let the fly sit in the ointment. Instead, what, what are we to do? We're to get the little sieve out, get the little teaspoon out, and, and to take them out of the top of the ointment. We're to, we're to deal with the sin. We're to deal with the foolishness that is in our lives. We're to deal with the things that are, are polluting us and how we walk, how we live, and how we work in the words that we use. You see how challenging, how heavy this is, how in this out-of-hours classroom, as it were, that we thought we were going to go along to and just put our feet up? The teacher teaches us many profound lessons in how to live. One moment of foolishness can distort and destroy a lifetime. One rash decision can tarnish. A handful of foolish words can change all of the aroma. And so the heart is small, given the proportion of our body. But it is the center, the control center of all our lives. And so as our hearts are exposed tonight, how are they? And I want us to have this image tonight. I want us to have our an image of, of the Lord reaching into our very chest and taking out our heart before us. And He doesn't take out our heart to, to expose it, to do it in a, in a shameful way, to ridicule us. The Lord reaches into our very chest tonight and, and takes out our heart and brings it before our very eyes so that He can deal with our hearts, so that He can, that he can operate on our hearts so that he can take out the, the dead bits, the, the corrosive bits, the bits that are, that are going to pollute all the others. He, he goes into the, the jar of ointment, and he scoops out the sin, and he brings it before us tonight. And so I think that our only response to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 is the Lord does this for our good, for our holiness, is a position of Repentance. And tonight we want to praise God that we can run to Him for forgiveness. I think that's where this passage takes us. That we have to run to Him. Lord, I, I've made a mess. My words are not good. If my work colleagues were brought up here to the front of church and asked to give a testimony, I would fear what they would say. My walk quietly, it hasn't been good. But hear these words tonight. John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we will confess them. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And then what do we do? Well, we carry the aroma of our Lord Jesus Christ into all the world. And we fill every room, 
every conversation, every workplace, every journey that we take with the beautiful, attractive, holy aroma of our Savior, the one who has forgiven us much, and so we live for his glory. Let's pray as we draw near to our close.